I don't really, you know me in holidays, I think Christmas is every day, I think Easter is every day, I think Jesus is a part of my life, I think he rose from the dead uh, and saved me and loves me and I live with him every day, so I, I don't mind celebrating Christmas, I don't mind celebrating Easter, but again, it's every day, it's every day for me, Jesus is every day, I don't have to wait for April or, or December to celebrate Jesus. And so as I do that, I continue in my study in Philippians, and you have to think about where he is again. He's in prison. It's like one of the roughest places that, that Paul could, could actually be. And so as we, as we talked two weeks ago, the first part of Philippians chapter 1, we talked about him being lonely, that he still found joy in loneliness. And not that he was by himself all the time, but you think about a man who's passionate, passionate about Jesus and passionate about telling people about Jesus, who's literally handcuffed to a Roman soldier in this apartment. Six-hour duties for these Roman soldiers. So four soldiers a day were handcuffed to, to Paul in this tiny apartment. Probably not anything like you think about today. And he is constantly uh, having people come and talk to him about what's happening in the different churches that he's already planted. Of course, there's issues in the churches and things like that. And he's trying to encourage them. He's writing letters. So these soldiers that are sitting next to him are hearing nothing but Jesus. You know, t today, people are asking me, well, who are you pulling for, the Colts or the Cowboys? Well, come on. <laughs> I don't think Paul talked about any of that stuff other than Jesus. I really don't. I, I think he was so consumed by his his ministry and everything else, but not to depress you or anything about his situation, but talking about the loneliness, but then we get into today's verses, and he talks about the, the, the suffering, the suffering that he goes through, and so I, I, I wanted to focus on that a little bit, and I, I'm stuck on this, on this truth that I came across, and I think you would kind of expect a, a pastor to say something like this, but it's Theology in suffering must replace the therapy of suffering in the church today. Like, there is a lot of suffering in the church today, and it comes with a different perspective. This morning, may the spirit in this room, the spirit in you, show you a different perspective about suffering. The Bible tells us that suffering is a result of sin. Like Adam and Eve didn't suffer. They didn't suffer in the garden until they sinned. And then all of a sudden, suffering and death came into the world. And so now we enter and we leave this world by honestly causing others to suffer our own sin. And again, I'll say this to you. When I talk about sin as believers, uh, there's, there's really only one sin that, if you're a believer in this room, there's only one sin that you do. 
There's not a whole list of sins that you do. But it always comes down to two things. You either walk by the Spirit or you walk by your flesh. So the only sin that you really do in, the, in here is like you choose to walk by your flesh. You choose to walk by your own strength. You choose to be selfish. That's it. That's what it comes down to. Either allow the Spirit, that, as Matt was talking about, to live in you and through you, or you do it yourself. But we can look throughout Scripture and throughout life. We, we deal with suffering. A third of the Psalms is about suffering. Lamentations is about, uh, about suffering. Every prophet except Haggai included some kind of lament in their stories and their books. And then Jesus even lamented over Israel about his own people. He suffered. And then uh, I, I think about in our society, in our world right now, all the suffering that we are going through. We, you know, constantly in the news we hear about these four students in Idaho and the families and things like that. It's just miserable to even think about. Our hospitals are full of RSV patients and people are sick and our homicide rate in Indianapolis is like setting records and uh, we've all got friends that are in some kind of difficult relationships at this point. There's grief and loss right here in this room as we face this Christmas season. There's financial issues. There's all sorts of hardships that are surrounding us and causing us to suffer. So suffering is something that it can overwhelm us, it encompasses every human being, and I promise you, because Jesus promised that you will suffer, you're going to suffer. You're going to have to deal with suffering. You can't avoid it. You'll suffer with purpose, or you're going to suffer without purpose. And this is not a message about who suffered the most, but... Let me tell you about Paul, the guy who wrote this letter. I want to read a few passages here and remind you what he suffered through. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, it says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that it took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Like, he was ready. He was ready to be done. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. Second Corinthians chapter 11, like three chapters later, he's like, I'm talking like a madman. I'm a, I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea on frequent journeys. I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toll 
toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Not to mention other things. There's the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak? Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. And then one more passage that he talks about in the next chapter. It says, For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool, because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. There is going to be suffering. But there is also, there's also this Savior that lives within us, that not only can sympathize with us, but he can empathize with us. Like he literally took on the flesh suit and walked here on the earth and he suffered emotionally, spiritually, and physically. My Savior can sympathize and empathize with me. That's amazing. So now, it's 62 AD in Rome. Paul's in prison. He's, Paphroditus is actually coming to, to deliver an offering to Paul so that he can be taken care of. But Epaphroditus actually gets sick on his way to him. And then, as you know, Paul wanted to go to Rome his whole ministry. But now he's literally sitting in a prison in Rome. So now he wanted to evangelize him, but he's a prisoner there. Paul did not find his joy in his ideal circumstances of being there, but he found his joy in winning others to Christ. Verse 12, let's get into it. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Now, think about this. Go back to what I said. Paul's like chained to these men, the imperial guard, 24-7. And he's, he's literally saying to them, saying to, in this letter, they're listening to me, Think about what he says, and that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord. Most of the guys that have been chained to me, they trust in Jesus now. Like, I, he wanted to come to Rome to evangelize, and he's literally evangelizing to people that are chained to him. And they're understanding and hearing about Jesus. And here's Paul's perspective the whole time. If, if that's me in prison, chained to, like, these guards, 
what am I praying for? I'm praying, God, get me out of here. <laughs> God, I, I don't want to be chained up to these guys any longer. But Paul's perspective was, hey, if this is where I'm supposed to be, it's all good. People are coming to know Jesus. This guy next to me to come to know Jesus. It's not what is it's not about what God is not doing. It's about what is God doing. It's all about perspective, and we have to see it that way. I, I get where I would be coming from, but Paul's like totally different mindset. He's okay with being there. Literally. It's not a question of will you suffer. It's when will you suffer. It's coming. It's coming. This ministry is literally building, is about building relationships. It's about you being here today in our presence and us getting to know each other. It's not, yeah, you're hearing a message or whatever, and I hope that that's good for you and everything. But really, it's about us being here today because it's going to hit the fan. And when it does, these people right here will be here. That's what this is about. That's why we're here. And that's literally what Paul's saying. He's like saying, hey, it's going to happen. Why do you think you can avoid suffering even for a day? And the question is, are you going to suffer with purpose or without purpose? Will your suffering compel you to love Jesus more? Or do you despise Jesus more? It's all perspective. Will suffering purify your motives? Will your suffering cause you to reorient your focus on Jesus? I can't do it for you. All I can sit here is, I I can honestly just beg for you not to waste your suffering. I don't like it. I don't like it. But I have to deal with it. I deal with a lot of yours, and everybody goes, how do you deal with everybody's junk? I, I don't. I don't. I really don't. I just have to trust the Father with it. And so if I'm going to trust the Father with your junk, I guess I have to do it with my own junk. That's the truth. There's only so much that I can do. You ask the question, so why are we chained here? If you're in Paul's situation, why, why are you chained here? Paul's literally saying, I'm not chained here, I'm free. I'm free to present the gospel. That's just a circumstance. But I'm absolutely free to talk about Jesus to these men. Will other Christians benefit from watching you suffer? I watch you guys all the time suffer. I really do. I watch and I see how you handle it, how you respond to it. And I'm assuming that if Christians are watching how we suffer, there's, there's got to be non-Christians that are watching how we suffer too. And therefore, your suffering in Christ is a testimony to who he is. I'm not putting pressure on you. I'm just saying, 
that's a result of the way that you respond, the way that you choose. Will your suffering have purpose or will it be wasted? Here's some misconceptions that I've written down for suffering. Suffering is not avoided by you having a lot of faith. Just because you believe and you trust, you're still going to suffer. Jesus did. Two, suffering doesn't automatically make you a victim. In this society, in this world, uh, the whole victim thing is a big deal. But just because you suffer, it doesn't make you a victim. It's, again, how you receive it and how you respond to it. And suffering isn't always a result of sin. People will say, oh, this is suffering because you sin. No, it's, it's not. Uh, suffering is not to be pursued. I don't think it's something that we chase. I think it's something that occurs to us, and it obviously it sets us apart. It set us apart, literally, that means to make us holy. Suffering somehow makes us holy. Suffering is not to be avoided. You can try to pursue it, not going to happen. You can try to avoid it, not going to happen. Suffering is not to be excused because God uses it. Oh, that bothers me so much. It's almost like God's causing me to suffer so that I can learn a lesson. That is so far from the truth. We live in a fallen world. And stuff happens. And choices happen. God wants the best for you. But because we have to deal with these things in our surroundings, in our circumstances, and our choices, again, he's sovereign and he figures out how we can use that suffering that has come into this world. He didn't cause it. He... When people suffer, they, for some reason, they blame God for it. Well, God could have got me out of this, or God could have done that. Well, God gave us free will. He gave us freedom so that we could make choices. Obviously, Adam and Eve made their free choices. But don't forget this. If God is good and he's, a, and he's loving, there is an antithesis to that. There's an evil one. There's an evil one that wants to destroy us. He wants to take us down individually. He wants to take us down as a family. He wants to take us down as a church. And for us to blame God for the suffering rather than the evil one is totally misconstrued. It's God that's going to help us get out of the suffering. Suffering is no excuse to allow injustice or evil. We still need to be just and avoid evil. Suffering is for us. It's not an act of atonement, but it's really more of a process, a, a sanctification. We aren't paying God back for sin. It's not like our punishment for sin because you, you remember, right? The scripture says, therefore, those who are now in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. That Jesus has 
died one time and he died for your sins and that you're forgiven, that you're loved, that you're holy, you're righteous and redeemed. So the fact that you're going to like suffer is like penance for your sin. Now, it may be logical consequences of your sin. There may be logical consequences of it, negative logical consequences, but it's not because God's like cursing you. And suffering is not to be fully understood in this life. When I deal with families that are grieving, and uh, sometimes I just look at them and say, I don't know. I don't know. I just trust Jesus. He knows. And some of you will sit here and say, I also say, you need to zoom out and see the bigger picture. We get so caught up in the moment that that's all we can think about. But for some reason, there's this bigger picture that God knows and he sees. And I can't always see it. People ask me all the time, what what can we pray for you about? I pray for wisdom. Pray that I can see things like God sees things. That's all I want. It's just more, more wisdom. I want to see things from his perspective. And then lastly, suffering is not beyond the sovereign goodness of God. Again, I can't explain the sovereignty of God. I wish I could. I wish I could understand the timing and the all that happens. But he's God, and I'm not. I trust him. Verse 15, it says, To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. Even in Paul's day, there seemed to be competition about spreading the gospel. There's competition today about who you're going to follow. Even in this room, even in this room, who who, who are you going to follow? But it happened back then. And here's what you have to understand. My my nephew's here, uh, my brother's son is here from... Colorado this week and just to be able to like hang out with him and uh, process life together become family (laughs) and just trying to explain God to him in a simple term uh I want him to see this is about faith and it's not about religion. I want him to be around people that um, care about other people, not care about building an institution or being a part of something mega big and talking about it and promoting it. But, but, but But hear me about this. I'm not against that either. I'm not against it. It's like Paul said, there's competition and there's, there's uh, you know, some 
false things that are being said about each other and everything else, but as long as the gospel is being presented, that's all that matters. There may be ego involved. There may be wrong motives involved. There may be some things that I just absolutely detest. But as long as Jesus is being proclaimed, so be it. We are on the same stinking team. Those guys down the street on Holy O Road, you know, Holy O Road, whatever. They are my friends. They're my brothers. And we literally three weeks ago sat at this table right here, all of us, and just encouraged one another. I don't do things like they do, and they definitely don't do things like I do. And we talk about it. We talk about it. We laugh about it. We process those things. We encourage one another. But we are on the same team. It's about Jesus. And so I'm not going to badmouth them even though they do things different than I do. And I wouldn't do it like they would, and they're not going to do it like I do. It's okay. That's literally what Paul's saying. He's like, they're... They're bad-mouthing me. They're trying to, like, make themselves better than me. They're falsifying me. Like, when he was talking about the, getting the thorn in his side, I honestly believe that thorn in his side was his Jewish brothers. His Jewish brothers were telling everybody that what Paul's teaching is false. It's like, I've said this before in here, it's like, if I teach this and somebody comes in behind me and starts teaching something different, that would be a thorn in my side. It would hurt because I believe what I'm talking about, and that's this, this word right here and my interpretation by this Holy Spirit inside of me. And so I don't care about producing numbers. I don't care about having facilities or big buildings, obviously. We have a great situation right here at Pinheads, and the Lord has taken care of us. I'm not in a competition. I'm not. I'm not. Dan, Dan and I have done like ministry for like 30 years, and it's always been kingdom-minded. He, he'll, he'll tell you from the beginning, it's been about working together. Then the verse 18 is the last verse I'll look at today. Is what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. <laughs> I'm like, Paul, are, are you sure that's what you meant to say? Are you sure? Paul tells us that in suffering, the key is to rejoice. <laughs> I'm telling you in suffering what Paul says that we're supposed to rejoice in that. And I look out here and I go, Oh, I know what they're suffering with. Rejoice. Rejoice. You wrongly, you wrongly identify, and we talked about this, you wrongly identify joy as with emotion. And you can't command an emotion. I couldn't last Saturday command Zoe, uh, Sam, and Zoe, Sam and Chloe to mourn. I couldn't. I couldn't command them to mourn in the middle of their wedding. 
you can't command emotion. But he says to rejoice. He's commanding it because rejoicing is not an emotion. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit that resides in you. That in the midst of our suffering, I have this holy living God inside of me that produces this fruit in me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit produces that, not me. So in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my loss and my grief, there's joy. There's always joy. It's roughly like 18 times in the New Testament, joy and suffering are mentioned together. We can have joy in the midst of our suffering. You suffer through your finances, your poverty, your loss of loved ones, your separations, your divorces, your unemployment, your addiction, your sin, your unmet expectations, and Paul says rejoice. Because there's a holy, loving God living inside of you, doing incredible things in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this fallen world. And Jesus, you know, Santa Claus is coming in at 10 o'clock, so uh, you can bowl with Santa today. I love it. I say this. I close on this. Jesus is the perfect example of suffering. He is my example. Jesus took took my sin, took your sin, took our sin, and he purchased our salvation through his suffering. It was through his suffering that I have salvation. He suffered for us. And he continues to suffer. Remember, he's, he's already risen and he said to Saul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And Jesus will put an end to all suffering. Because I believe it comes to an end. I believe it comes to an end that someday, somehow, we're no longer going to suffer because of Jesus. John sixteen thirty three. in this world, he says, you will have tribulation. You will suffer. The question is, will you suffer well? Will you suffer with Jesus? Let Jesus actually use your suffering don't don't waste your suffering don't waste it process it think about it surrender it it cost you a lot i get it it cost you a lot i'd say this invest invest zach invest in the people that know jesus Invest in the people that know Jesus. There was a Romanian pastor, and he said, Christians are like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. 
That's a good word. I pray that you go deeper in Christ by each blow that you suffer and that you receive. Jesus, thank you for um, the perfect model, the perfect model. And then not only Jesus, but Paul as he suffered, as he's imprisoned, that the gospel be furthered because of our suffering, that you be proclaimed, that even in the midst of our grief and loss, we can rejoice. I trust you. I trust you in this season, this holiday, this Christmas environment that we celebrate, that we celebrate you well, even in the suffering. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.